Hello and welcome to another episode of Switch It. We're still working on the branded face masks, but don't worry, recording this podcast barely requires us to get out of bed, let alone leave the house. Lockdown does have some upsides. Anyway, there's been plenty of time to talk the talk over recent months, but walking the biosecure walk is beginning to appear a real possibility. West Indies have arrived in the UK for their rescheduled tour, England have named a test training squad, and the game is, well, not quite afoot, but not too afar off either. To bring us all up to speed, I'm joined by George DeBell and Nagraj Golapudi, two men who don't so much break the news as send it cartwheeling 20 yards back. George, uh, you're looking well, readying yourself to enter the ECB bubble? Yeah, looking forward to it. Hey, it's just uh, it's going to be nice to watch some cricket, eh? It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, as you said, uh, it's going to get in, away, get in the way of all the other work. Yeah, I've been amazed how busy it's been. That's absolutely true. And I, I wonder how I ever squeezed any cricket in. There's been loads of news. But, I, I, you know, it'll be a little bit easier when we're not speculating about when cricket will come back and what it will look like. And look, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm um, uh, genuinely uh, very respectful and thankful uh, to the ECB for getting it on. I think they've done a really good effort, a really good job of this. Uh, and equally uh, grateful and thankful to the West Indies for coming at a time when, I don't know, a lot of people would, everyone would have understood if they had not. Uh, and I think the game uh, will benefit from, you know, both teams working together to find a way to get this series played. Indeed. Um, and Nagraj, incredibly, this is your switch hit debut. Uh, what have we been doing all these years? <laughs> Ignoring me? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think it's just impossible to track you down, isn't it? Because you're always, you know, off hunting through the long grass for the next next story. Yes, no, um, it's good to be here. Good to talk cricket. Hopefully we'll talk cricket and not news. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like George said, this is exciting times. And what what is it now, June 18th? In about three weeks, we'll be talking, watching cricket, not just talking cricket, watching cricket. So yeah, very excited. Yeah, it's uh, it's middle of June. We're only sort of halfway through what would be the English summer. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure we're all keen to to see a bit of action on the cricket field. Um, let's let's start with West Indies and the great efforts that have gone into getting them over here for the first international matches since New Zealand and Australia played an ODI in mid March. Um, you've both covered this closely. Uh, there were long and detailed discussions before agreement was struck. Um, but uh, Cricket West Indies and the ECB, George, they've pretty much been on the, the same page throughout. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think so. I think there was a will to make it work. I think, look, everyone understands the financial position of the game. And I know that some people think the ECB in particular have been obsessed by international cricket, but that's because it pays the bills. So it was really important to get this on. The situation for the touring sides is a little bit different. I mean, they, they don't really make any money from from these tours directly. Uh, the West Indies situation is slightly more complex because their main sponsor is Sandals, who obviously has a, a huge interest in the UK market. And, and no doubt this series will be seen by more people than usual. I mean, I do think, one, there's a, a, a real sense of excitement about seeing some live sport. Uh, two, there won't be a lot else to watch. And three, the highlights are back on the BBC. So for, for lots of reasons, I think there'll be lots of people watching. There'll be a sense of anticipation. 
Indeed. Um, I mean, some of that complexity, Naga, from the, the Windy's point of view, they had to have privately chartered flights to get over here. They're currently uh, undergoing the quarantine period as part of the, the government rules on, on foreigners coming into the country. Um, they will stay in that sort of secure bubble for the next, uh, what, six, seven weeks. Um, they'll play inter-squad games before the tests. I mean, it's all quite quite um, involved and, and quite alien to the to the normal uh, process of touring when you can go out and about and kind of engage in the, the country and the culture. Yeah, they've had to quickly, or they're still in the process of having to quickly adapt to all these changing scenarios from uh, flying on charter planes within their islands at the last minute and getting into a different continent, <laughs> wearing masks, with, I mean, it was so funny to watch them walk out of the charter plane in Manchester and going heading to the hotel and none of them were watching their phones. It was so like, you usually are used to like people, players walking out and, you know, wearing earphones and just going through their phones and everyone was so like, it, it just seemed like a very mournful atmosphere, very quiet, no one around, uh, but now, I think from whatever little things on the press briefings that we see, the players and the coaches have now started saying that they're kind of catching up with the intensity and steadily building towards the match, the, test, the first test match in Southampton. I think the biggest challenge for West Indies is going to be mental. How uh, beyond, I mean, England, of course, England is by itself a different challenge. But before they even start thinking cricket mentally, how if they can free themselves and think and motivate themselves that they're here to play cricket. That'll be the great thing. Indeed. And uh, George, you touched on, on the fact that they are missing a few players. Those three that declined to tour, Darren Bravo, Shimron, Hetmeyer, um, Kimo Paul, all obviously had their own reasons to do with safety and, and particularly, I think, looking after their families um, back at home. But, um, I mean, that, that does weaken the West Indies squad a, a wee bit. Oh, I think it weakens them significantly, I'm afraid. I think Hetmeyer would have, uh, is probably a big, the biggest loss. I actually think Bravo's a big loss as well. I know that his record in the UK isn't fantastic, but actually the pitches they're going to play on might have been the ones in which he fared best. So I, I think that's significant. You know, you've probably lost two fairly top-order batsmen who would have played. That, that's where the worries are in that West Indies side. There's not much doubt about their seam bowling strength. But there, there are some doubts about how some of the others are going to step up. And, you, you know, you look at Brathwaite, for example. In normal circumstances, he might consider himself a wee bit lucky to, to be on this tour. And there'll be pressure on him if he doesn't get runs in the first test. We know Hope's a really good player. We know he is. But actually, the record doesn't show it. So there are some weaknesses about the West Indies batting. And for that reason, I think England are probably favourites. But I don't know how many England-West Indies series I've done. And West Indies are always written off. And I keep seeing them win. So, uh, against mm. England, anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, really looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, can I add something about... I'd mm -hmm. like to differ a little bit with George on as far as the guys who have not come, especially Hitmeyer and... Bravo. Both of these guys have been struggling for runs. Uh, if you look at the last one year especially, um, these guys have... Admire has got many opportunities and he has not managed to score in Test cricket. But 
you look at the first 11, you know that the only guy who's only place that needs to be filled up right now is Hetmeyer's place, which might be taken up with Jermaine Blackwood, kind of a guy who is uh, scored, I think, the highest scorer in the four-day championship back home. So, yes, batting remains their biggest concern. But I was going through some numbers, regardless of who you fit in, whether it is Hetmeyer, Bravo, Blackwood, Shea Hope. You look at the average number of balls faced by West Indies, I was just checking with our stats team, is 34. Compare that to England, 51. The top five batsmen play 50 balls in innings for West Indies, England, 74. That's a vast difference. You can see that that's the challenge Phil Simmons, the head coach, will have when and and he has to sort this out quickly within a matter of a month before the first test and this is his first big test series for Phil Simmons also if you remember he took over just late last year and I think he's just been a coach for the Afghanistan test in November so also that is another point West Indies have not played test cricket for a while uh, since November England are on a high they've played uh, what they played in South Africa beat South Africa in South Africa 3-1 they were ready for Sri Lanka. So they are much more mentally, I think, tuned up for this, I feel, compared to West Indies. And George, you mentioned sort of um, West Indies springing surprises before when being uh, billed as sort of the underdogs. We look at their bowling attack. Um, I mean, you look at the, the stats there would support the view that that's kind of one of the, the best um, test attacks certainly pace attacks going around at the moment Kimar Roach is here again um, he did well in 2017 um, Jason Holder has been much improved over the last couple of years Shannon Gabriel is coming back from an injury so perhaps isn't a, a definite starter as yet I think he's in the backup um, group but um, they they have a, an impressive attack and England know all about how um, impressive they can be yeah they do I mean um, England were pretty much blown away in the Caribbean uh, and, and there may be some similarities. I mean, remember that they they use the Duke's ball, so that's not going to be anything new. Um, I'm reasonably confident Shannon Gabriel will play, but I think uh, Osiris Joseph's a, a really good, really good bowler uh, with a, with a big future. Um, I, I suppose there are some um, concerns about the the spin bowling. We, we'll see. Uh, but England did lose eight wickets to a part-time off spinner. <laughs> on a pitch that wasn't turning in Barbados not so long ago. So um, I, I do think that that Rost West Indies team here as a batsman, really basically. <laughs> well, it was that, that was, of all the batting collapses I've seen, it wasn't the most dramatic from England. That was probably, though, the most inexplicable because, you know, in the first innings there, I think it was Kimar Roach bowled them out. Fair play, he was magnificent. But Roston Chase is um, competent. I don't, I don't mean that, but, but he... he he, you know, he bowled in good areas, but it wasn't turning. Or very, very little. I mean, that, that was a really terrible batting display. I think that was the very <laughs> worst I've seen. So anyway, um, there, there's... Um, and there's uh, the other holder coming through. Now, we saw him at the start of the uh, of that tour uh, playing at Cave Hill in the warm-up game. And he didn't actually... And everyone was saying how promising he was. It was quite a slow wicket. And he didn't stand out in the same way that, say, Azari Joseph stands out. But um, he's very highly thought of, and it will be, you know, it will be really good to see him too. Only three tests, but they do come thick and fast. And you wonder about, well, some of the England seamers are getting on a bit, and obviously Shannon Gabriel's just coming back from injury. He's got the huge run-up and all the rest of it. Puts a, 
a lot into his body, um, it might well be that people need to rotate, mightn't it? Indeed, um, uh, Chamar Holder, uh, Simmons, Phil Simmons, the coach, described him uh, earlier this week as having a lot of the attributes that would make him one of the greats of West Indies cricket in the future, which is, you know, pretty um, decent praise. And there's also O'Shane Thomas in that backup group of uh, yeah, yeah. bowlers. Um, so, uh, yeah, Naga, the, 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 these are sort of uh, golden times once again for West Indies pace bowling. Yeah, it's funny, right? Everyone is talking about talking their bowling attacks up. You ask India, they say they have the best bowling attack in the history. You ask England, they'll say they have the best bowlers. Although England have really in Anderson and Broad really a most experienced bowling attack. But yes, the West Indies have a lot of uh, tearaways, quicks. The other day, wasn't it? Who was asked? Shea Hope was asked by one of the journalists who hits the gloves hardest. And he said, Sean Gabriel and uh, who was it? Zari, was it? Yes. Uh, I think O'Shane, maybe. O'Shane, sorry. O'Shane and, yes, you're right. O'Shane and this. So, yeah, they have pace. Who starts as a... One one guy who's who we know is going to start as their bowling captain, which is Kimar Roach. Then you have their actual captain, Jason Holder. The third fast bowling spot is up for takes between... And it's a race, I feel, between Gabriel... Alzari Joseph and maybe Kimar Chimar Holder possibly, but I feel that it could be Alzari unless Gabriel really does well in the first two practice games. Uh, you guys were talking about the part-time off spinners. <laughs> the one guy I'm really looking forward to is Jimbo. Yes, Joaquin Cornwall, <laughs> the big he, man. Yeah, the big man. He he can. He's. I spoke to him in fact uh, not to talk about the interview I did, but. He comes across as someone who's so cool and confident and he just took a 10 for against Afghanistan, a team that you would think in India on spinning tracks, which will do better against a part-time guy. But he, he, he took a 10 for, he took, yeah, and he is also very confident of, of talking himself as a batsman. So I, the bowling attack is really balanced. It's, yes, you would think that West Indies are in a much better mental space as far as the bowling is concerned. Uh, it's just that f- subject to fitness and the intensity they build up in the coming weeks. Um, they would worry England for sure. Because England have been, like George was saying, like just last year, it was virtually Roach and Gabriel rolled them out in, where was it, Barbados? Yeah, and, and Antigua. And Antigua. Yeah, Antigua, yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, so they will they will come into the series psychologically more confident and yeah. I mean, yeah, and talking about um, the the West Indies uh, pace bowling stocks, uh, there'll be another Bayesian involved in the series, um, but not wearing maroon. Uh, obviously, Jofra Archer it has, uh, has switched allegiances, um, and that has been talked up a little bit in in advance, as you'd imagine, George. Quite a lot of um, there's a big Bayesian uh, contingent in the West Indies squad, and quite a lot of them will have played with Jofra or you know known him growing up. Um, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to watch at the very least, isn't it? And, and possibly a bit of spice there. Yes, I mean, I think it's. Uh, I think it'll be pretty good natured. I, I really do. But um, yeah, look, he's a a special bowler. I think I know we're in the early stages of his career, but I, you know he has already won a World Cup. Um, uh, I think he's a special bowler, and he is such a bonus for England. Um, you know, if you take a universal view, probably a bit of a shame that he's not playing for West Indies in a way, isn't it? But he's using his British passport, which is absolutely his right to do. And from an English perspective, he's enormously welcome. I think that um, 
whatever, you know, talk there is, I think relations between these teams are actually pretty good. And I don't think there'll be anything untoward. Just a bit, a bit of competition, but it'll be very friendly off the field. Uh, and uh, probably supporters of both sides will enjoy watching Joffre in action because he, he, he you know... He had, he had a difficult winter, though, I guess. I mean, you could argue, couldn't you, that he might now be in the... Um, I don't really believe this myself, but you could argue that Joffre would now in that sort of realm where he could be rotated with Mark Wood and Ollie Stone because you look at England, you know, can he leave Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad out if they're fully fit in English conditions for the Duke's ball? Don't know. Maybe you have to look to the future. I mean, I do think that's a, a difficult uh, dilemma for England, and personally, I would play Joffre all the time. But it will be interesting to see how they use him because they overbowled him in his first year in cricket, in international cricket. Uh, they have to look after him, but I think he's special. And I don't think it's hyperbole to suggest he could be a great player in the making. Still in the development phase. But um, crikey, there's a lot there, isn't there? Indeed, uh, he's a, a, another one coming back from injuries now after um, the South Africa tour uh, and um, not being involved in the, the Sri Lanka tour, although that uh, obviously went the way it did. Um, in terms of uh, what the fans want to see and, and also the atmosphere, I mean, there are there are going to be no fans in the grounds, um, as we've discussed before. These are obviously behind closed doors tests and um, that's something, Naga, the, the Windies have kind of talked it up a little bit in, in some of their early um, interactions with the media here. Um, the fact that England actually won't have this sort of 12th man, you know, the Barmy Army cheering them on, um, 20,000 possibly slightly inebriated people um, getting behind them and, and how that could play into into the uh, advantage of the touring side. Who, yeah, uh, I was wondering that as a broader point, will home advantage hold anymore? Like, for, and will both teams start on at, in one way on even ground? And I guess West Indies will not feel that pressure for sure. Uh, the pressure, whatever, will be on the field and their own. Uh, if they can perform to their own expectations and stay consistent. But the atmosphere will be weird, isn't it? Like, I'm not sure exactly how it will pan out, especially cricket. We, we've already watched certain sports and it, especially, I don't know whether you guys watched Premier League yesterday, the f- launch, re- yeah. yeah. Was, well, well, with, the, uh, with the crowd noises piped in. Yes, yes. And cricket is going to be totally different. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm... I'm looking forward to that, but it's it's in a way West Indies will be relieved. Yeah, and, and as George says, that they know uh, how to bowl with the Duke's ball. There'll be well, there'll be no um, saliva used to shine it. Yeah. So it's about working up a sweat. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we we've seen their bowlers do well over here before. Um, on the previous tour, George. So, do you need sweat? Up. I mean, I mean, I think it will be English <laughs> conditions. <laughs> it will be funny, like whether there will be a lot of. Would it be more suitable without even the sweat? Whether the saliva is another thing, but even without the sweat, it, it would, would would Duke's well, ball really swing? I think I think Chris Wokes um, has spoken, and I'm sure others, but about how yeah, the Duke's ball does tend to. You just give it a bit of a rub and, and let the the seam work as a rudder and all that. And, uh, I just wonder, will, will that be the case at Old Trafford? Hmm. Old, Old Trafford is as close as you get to an Australian-style wicket, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I, I think that maybe maybe plays to the West Indies' advantage. 
Uh, in that, you know, I don't think England are at their absolute best in those conditions. I'm not really exactly sure what to expect at the Aegeus. You would think that they could have absolutely any service they wanted, really, within, you know, normal confines, because they've had, you know, lots of time to work on it. Uh, and you would think that it would therefore just be a good batting wicket, you know, an old-fashioned good test wicket. So I'm not sure that we should be expecting the sort of surfaces we might have seen in, say, Edgbaston or Trent Bridge, you know, places where the ball has moved quite a lot more. And I think that that may suit West Indies a little bit more. Yeah, but that's the other unknown, isn't it? Like, there's no cricket being played at all. So known exactly the history of what happened in those grounds is a different thing. It might just be like, no one knows what the surface, even the curator might not know, the groundsman might not know how it's going to behave. That's another thing. Like, how do they, how do teams prepare for something like that? Well, the Gears Bowl has a new uh, groundsman, doesn't it, as well, I think, uh, who's moved there from Taunton over the winter. Um, and yes, as given, given none of the, the teams have really picked up a bat in three or four months, we <laughs> would probably be a good thing if there isn't too much seam movement uh, on offer. Um, we should we should also mention, I think, the the Black Lives Matter movement um, here. C- cricket has has once again had to confront issues to do with race. Uh, Darren Sammy uh, went public with some shocking revelations, uh, and as did Michael Carberry here in the UK. Um, there's a strong possibility that the West Indies will make a, a gesture during the tests. Um, I mean, what what are you expecting we might see there, George? I expect both teams will mark uh, that movement uh, respectfully. Uh, exactly what they're going to do, I don't know. But I think it'll also be more than a gesture. I, 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 I do think that the game in England, anyway, has been shocked in the last week or so. And I get the impression there is... It feels like a watershed moment. It doesn't feel as if this is just talk this time. Uh so I think the England team will very genuinely uh, uh, mark it. The West Indies team have already said they're going to. I think the teams will get together and do it, and I think it'll be uh, genuine, but I, I think it has to be more than a gesture this time. Yeah, it's an opportunity also for cricket to kind of uh, show its diverseness because it's always spoken about. And Jason Holder, he was talking on TV and recently in the last two days or something where he said that they definitely are talking uh, to show their solidarity towards the f- protests with that have flared up in the wake of George Floyd's death um, and they are thinking of a few different ways how do they kind of do that so guessing armbands might be one taking and he was asked whether the team is planning to take a knee and he did not commit to it but who knows I mean there are many teams that have already done that so Yes, there is a strong feeling in the West Indies camp that they need to kind of show this. They, they need to kind of... also It's a mark of respect, in a way. So, And good for them, good for cricketers also, that the ICC has come out and said that, that you're going to use common sense and not just penalise people and go by the code. So the players, the, the match officials are going to be lenient as long as they don't cross a certain line, I'm guessing. Well, I, I th- I'd like to see the match officials involved in it as well. I just think I'm, I'm pretty sure that before the first ball of the series is bowled, both teams will do something uh, to mark it. But as I say again, it has to be more than a gesture this time. The game, particularly the game in England, has 
to change. And George, you've, you've been uh, doing some research here and writing around the subject. Uh, uh, obviously, Michael Carberry um, spoke damningly about the, the state of the professional game um, in this country and, and a, a, something like one or maybe two black cricketers involved at the highest level last season. Um, do you think the ECB have kind of um, realised the, the strength of feeling there and the, the need to do something? I think the whole game has been shocked and I think the whole game has been complicit. And by that, I absolutely include the media, me, us. Um, I thought Michael Carberry's comments were shocking, yeah. Uh, and as a result, uh, I tried to speak to quite a lot of people who had either played, coached, uh, administrators in the game. And that piece hopefully will be published in, you know, shortly. And it was... Uh, yeah, it was shocking. And it's crept up on us a little bit, which I feel stupid saying, if I'm honest. But, that you know, when I started looking for uh, state-educated, UK-born uh, cricketers of Afro-Caribbean descent who were involved in the English game, and I found Keith Barker. And actually, there's, uh, I think his name's Liam Hurt at Lancashire, who I'm afraid I hadn't heard of before, but he played one game last season. Um, well, that's pathetic. I mean, how, how have we allowed that to happen? And there are all sorts of reasons. And there are all sorts of different faces of racism. You know, r- racism isn't necessarily abusing people. It's not necessarily ju- joining the Ku Klux Klan. Sometimes it is just about not being as accessible to people of other communities. And, uh, you know, the English game has not been accessible to people of Afro-Caribbean communities, and not just that community, I should say. I mean, one of the bits of research, how, how many people from sort of the Bangladeshi community are feeling able to play cricket uh, in England? Uh, I, I, so that's another area. I, I think that we've got to be very careful not to put up posters of Moeen and Jofra and kid ourselves that everything's OK because... You know, we have to listen to what Michael Carberry and other black players are saying uh, and we have to reboot and do better. Indeed. Well, um, certainly the world will be watching uh, in a few weeks at the start of the the Test Series and also at um, how the ECB and all of us react um, as as we go down the line. Actually, can, um, I, just, can I just come back on that, Alan? Because one of the things that mm. after I tweeted about the... I can't remember which stat it was about, the, the stat about the the one uh, state school educated player, or maybe it was the, the Michael Carberry piece, I was struck my Twitter feed was full of black people being told by white people how easy it was to be black. And I'm not sure, while that is the case, that we're listening. Honestly, just think the next step is to listen, is to try and understand the experiences before start deciding what to do. But I am genuinely convinced that the game wants to change. I've been quite impressed by the uh, honesty, even the, the statement the ECB put out. Obviously, there was an element of sort of legalistic stuff about it. But I honestly think two or three years ago, the ECB would have put out a statement saying, we refute Michael Carberry's words. And it didn't say that. It said, uh, we're listening. We know we have to do better. And that's where it starts. So, yeah, good for them, I'd say. 
But again, it can't just be gestures. It's just the start. But I do think that it was genuine and that they said the right things and they meant them. Indeed. Sometimes, yes, listening is the most powerful action. Um, Let's move on to slightly more trivial matters, but we'll we'll touch upon them uh, anyway. England's um, 30-man training group ahead of the test series has been named um moe nally returning is perhaps the sort of top line there george obviously he um missed out on, on touring over the winter having sort of opted op, well opted out rather i should say of, of test cricket um but he's back and and obviously this is an expanded group so um we will know more when an actual test squad is named nearer the time but well there were one or two interesting names in there well there were lots but uh and, and Moen obviously offers a really uh, strong package of skills. You know, Moen, at the top of his game, probably gets in, doesn't he? You know, if he's batting as well as he can and he's bowling as well as he can, he's a brilliant, brilliant player. Uh, but I don't think we're much the wiser, because, you know, there, there were four wicketkeepers in there, weren't there, or so. Um, lots of options, and I think that... Um, I think that, that this team will be... Um, a really interesting one because England teams have been predictable for quite a long time and actually we don't know who the number three is really we don't know uh, what the bowling attack is we certainly don't know who the spinner is and we're not sure who the keeper is I I, I could make educated guesses about all of them but I don't know for sure Uh, and that'll be really interesting I I thought the key thing was there were so many young players I think they've identified who they see as the crop to take England forward for the next five ten years and um I think generally they've identified them quite well. There were quite a lot of quick bowlers, weren't there? And you tend to see that as a sign that they've got the ashes in mind. I think they're very keen not to do what they certainly did last time, is end up in Australia with lots of fast-medium bowlers, fast-medium fast medium bowlers, hooker balls, Australian wickets. doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> so, um, I mean, you have to be immensely skillful to make it work anyway. So uh, I'm pretty sure that's what they're building for. And obviously there's this balance between the present and the future. But I thought, you know, with one or two exceptions, I thought it was a pretty interesting and pretty strong squad, yeah. And you know, as you say, they sort of avoided making some of those big calls on if they are going to separate uh, red ball and white ball players into different squads as the summer goes on. So you've got you've got Josh Butler, Johnny Verstow, Ben Stokes, Joffrey Archibald, Mark Wood, they're, they're in at this stage, they're in the, the test group. Um, George, you spoke to, to Johnny uh, in the week talking about not letting go of the, the, the wicket-keeping gloves or, or hoping to get them back, I should say, after um, the winter of Josh Butler Overtook him in the pecking order. Naga, what's the what's the sort of the uh, objective outside the England bubble view on on this? Uh, who, who is England's best Test wicketkeeper, and what route should they be taking for this summer? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really am Silence, so confused. Tum- I don't know. Tumbleweed. I mean, like I'm, I'm thinking, w- there's no. Neither of the guys' contenders are like have. Uh, it's so funny, like you would think Bresto, but I think it's horses for courses. So I think maybe Butler, Butler at yeah. home, and then Bresto outside. But who knows? I mean, there's Fawkes also, isn't it? Was that the other name? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Look, I think the interesting thing is that there's only one clear day after I think at the end of the uh, scheduled third test against the West Indies before the first ODI against Ireland and then there's one clear day after the third Ireland ODI I think before 
the Pakistan Test Series. So maybe it's at that stage where England will have to make more choices. I, I, I would think that Ed uh, Smith was very keen to continue to back Joss Butler. Um, but personally, I think there's a pretty strong case for bringing Ben Folks into the test side and allowing Joss to be that wonderful, great white ball batsman that he is and not overburden him. I think we've we've kind of tried the red ball thing with him and I think it risks diminishing him as a special white ball cricketer. Hey, if you want a bolter, Jamie Overton. I'm told he's bowling, particularly well. I've been a fan for a long time, but I have seen him. I mean, the disparity between Jamie at his best and Jamie at his worst is unusually vast. Uh, really <laughs> unusual for a good player. I guess like Steve Harmison a bit. Uh, but they tell me he's got a slightly more upright action, that he is more in control and he's harnessing the undoubted skills. I'm told he's bowling particularly well in these early stages of training and he might be one to keep an eye on. But crikey, it's, it's pretty hard to get into that England seam attack with that Broad and Anderson combo still going strong. Yeah, um, with the, the uncapped players uh, in this 30 Overton, uh, Jamie Overton, obviously his brother has played. Uh, you've got Dan Lawrence, Sakib Mahmood, Anar Verdi, James Bracey, Matt Parkinson, Ollie Robinson, and Lewis Gregory. Uh, other, other than Overton, uh, Jamie, Dan Lawrence, perhaps the, the name that stands out, George? Yeah, I think he's next in line. Uh, and it's amazing to think, because he's been around forever, hasn't he? Um, well, you would probably know more about him than me, I'll, uh, but he, he's, I think he's 22, isn't he? And he had yeah, a terrific he... Lions tour. Yeah, and he's been around. To, I think scored a championship hundred as a sixteen-year-old, didn't he? So, and um, had a very good. And, start and, he's, to... and he's had that. He's he's had that period where he's he's gone backwards for a bit, which you very often see when maybe bowlers begin to work you out, or maybe when the pressure begins to to play, and he's come back strong. And um, he looks really well poised to me. He's got a very high ceiling. Uh, he looks like a really good player, and I think if Joe Root has to go off and uh, on paternity leave, which, you know, congratulations to him. I think Dan Lawrence is um, very well suited. I mean, it does leave that England side incredibly young looking. You know, mm-hmm. you've got Zach Crawley and Ollie Pope and um, uh, Dan Lawrence. They're, they're all so young, but uh, nothing wrong with being young. It's probably the way to be, best thing to be. Uh, but I think he could come into the side. All I would say is he's probably no better poised than... Liam Livingston was, say, three, four years ago. Maybe even Sam Billings. And they either didn't get the opportunity or didn't kick on. So, you know, tomorrow's man could become yesterday's man brutally fast in cricket. But I do think Dan Lawrence looks as if he's got a lot of what it takes. Uh, It's not just that they're getting younger, George, you're getting older as well. Um, I know. (laughs) We've sort of touched upon squad rotation and so on. I mean, the first test is uh, July the 8th and uh, Southampton then uh, sort of back to back to back. um, The second and third at Old Trafford. Um, And then Ireland ODIs, Pakistan tour as well. I mean, there has to be quite a lot of rotation um, considered here. I, I hope there's rotation. And I hope there's not just rotation for common sense reasons, but also to look at succession planning a little bit. Um, I think I wrote this in my piece. I I think at the start of the summer, I looked at the schedule and thought, you can see Broad in particular, walking off sixth test of the summer at Trent Bridge, his home ground. Terrific career. Go straight into the skybox and he'll be fantastic at that as well. 
uh, I mean, that still might happen. And, and Jimmy Anderson, obviously, he's he's limped out, I think, of two of his last three tests, even though one of them he had a match-winning performance in. Um, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if it ended at any moment, I guess, with either of them. They do deserve better than it ended at an empty ground with, you know, just the cameramen clapping. So I kind of hope that doesn't happen. But yeah, look, they have to rotate, not just for um, to get through it, uh, and not just so that Joffre Archer isn't uh, overbold as he desperately was uh, over the winter, not just to stop Mark Wood from breaking and hopefully get him to the ashes in uh, a good state, but for that succession planning as well. So let's have maybe a, a, a look at the the Oberton brothers and. Uh, Let's have a look at um, Ollie Stone, for example, and maybe maybe the spinners as well. I, I, it's quite hard to see how you get two spinners in particularly easily, but um, you know, Abby Verdi's interesting. Dob Best doesn't deserve to miss out, and uh, Leach was the man in possession before that. So there are all sorts of really really interesting things. And what's different now is previous years I would have gone to the every net session. And you get an idea of what's going on. Not least, if you can't tell just by watching, which you usually can, um, you could just ask one of the coaches or one of the players. That's all gone. So we're going to be uh, speculating a lot more, <laughs> put it like that. Uh, and that's kind of fun, isn't it? So we don't know what's going to happen, and isn't that brilliant? That's part of the glorious uncertainty. And England will be the most exposed team, won't it? Because they're playing back-to-back test series. Everyone's watching them. They know the larger pool of score players are going to be rotated. So other teams who are going to play England might have... Do you consider they might have an advantage of oh, knowing what England can present, what kind of challenge each one can present? I have thought about I know it cricket like doesn't think like that, like football, usually. But there is an element, isn't it? Like, Well, I suppose you always name a squad. Yeah, and uh, so I suppose you generally know what you're up against. But I would have thought that there are so many young players that actually they the opposition won't know that much about them. I'm actually I'm just trying to think who the Pakistan analyst would be. I don't think I know, um, but they might have quite a lot of work to be, you know, <laughs> trying to try to look at Dan Lawrence and. Um, uh, and whoever else might come into the side. So I, I, I don't think it's a, um, a significant disadvantage, no. And I think, you know, the big thing is English cricket will be so relieved that uh, these tours are going on because I don't know how they would have managed financially. And I think it is just worth saying, we, we have to think, if roles were reversed, if England, where there had been dozens or maybe hundreds of deaths from this disease, have been asked to go to a country where there may have been forty or 50,000, would they go? Listen, I, I don't want to say no, because I think England actually deserve credit for going back to India after the terrorist attacks there. I know that's more than 10 years ago. but And then also go to Bangladesh, where most other sides weren't doing so. So it's, it's not a, a simple yes or no. But I think that the game of cricket has come together better than other global games in, in this period. And that's something to be celebrated. I yeah, think. I think yeah. it's you're right. Both these boards have set an example of thinking collectively and for the game. And West Indies have, uh, I'm sure you've spoken to these gentlemen, you've spoken to the top, the hierarchy there at CWI, at Cricket West Indies, and they've said that one thing, right through there was never a doubt about touring. 
The only question they had was about health and safety. That was the yeah. only thing. And once that was established, that and that was not established by the boards as such, but more by the medical teams on both sides. And once that was that was cleared, then it was left to the players. And then certain these three players pulled out, and that's it. And most of them decided, okay, we are gonna we are happy to go and play. So, which is good. I mean, that's how boards. And players, etc., will be thinking moving forward. There are many other toes up at stake. So yeah, so it's a good, good example set by these two boards, definitely. It is, and I hope that it's mirrored around the world with the global game, and yeah. uh, people realise how much they need one another. And obviously, there's been this this loan to West Indies cr- cricket, West Indies from the ECB. Brilliant, good. It's exactly what the ECB should be doing with their money. Um, not only are they helping themselves really by making sure the West Indies get here. But they're helping uh, one of the smaller countries or smaller uh, cricketing nations economically. Uh, and that is what we've been crying out for for years. So uh, hopefully at some level somewhere, people might be thinking, you know, maybe there should be a fairer distribution of funds. <laughs> it's a bit of a leap. But, you know, maybe people are realising they rely on each other more. Because this hasn't necessarily been felt globally yet. Because obviously England were in the, the eye of the hurricane a little bit, weren't they? Uh, but as this continues and there's no sign of it ending, other countries will be in a similar position where they're seeing tours cancelled and very lucrative tours at that. Uh, and, you know, the whole game is going to have to work together to survive. You know, in all these awful situations, there are probably opportunities. Uh, and, and maybe we're there now. Of course, aside from West Indies' visit, there are also plans for Pakistan to arrive in the UK for Test and T20i series, again subject to various COVID-19 contingencies. To give us the latest, we're now joined by ESPN Cricket Info senior editor Osman Samyuddin, a man who puts the stan in Pakistan cricket coverage. How's it going, Oz? <laughs> it's going well. I can't wait for the goddamn cricket to start, though. <laughs> I really can't. I don't, at this stage, I don't care who plays. It could be the Rangpur Rangers versus, I don't know, St. Lucia or whatever. But I, I just want something to happen. You were watching the Vinci T10, presumably, avidly. <laughs> I know everything about it. Just ask me any numbers and I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's focus on, on cricket coming home. Uh, the English summer. Firstly... Um, what is the what is the current coronavirus situation in Pakistan? Uh, obviously, the, the PCB were hoping to hold a training camp in Lahore in advance of coming over here, but that has been um, shelved. That idea. Yeah, it's you know it, it's not good there. I think they're they're one of the countries that had I think gone to lockdown really early on, um, and then they did well initially, but then they loosened up the lockdown around the time of Eid and Ramzan and stuff, and so that's I think since then there's been a massive spike. Um, especially in Lahore and Karachi, those are kind of, kind of the worst affected cities so far. So it's kind of still growing there. And I think Imran Khan, the, the prime minister, said the other day that they're expecting a peak end, end July, August. So because of that, you know, they've, they've had to cancel the training camp, which they were supposed to have this week just gone, um, supposed to start on Monday. Um, and, and now what they're, you know, what, the, what they're planning for is to uh, get to England earlier, basically, and, and kind of, you know, get together here and, and, and train here, essentially, and have that camp there. 
That's right. Uh, so we we heard from George earlier about um, where they may end up being sent and so on. Um, there there were a few. Uh, a squad was named uh, earlier this week. A few interesting names in the I think twenty nine man party um, to come over to England. This is obviously Test and T twenty um, players because of uh, that's what the tour will be made up of. So it's a bit of a mixed group. But yeah, um, Safraz Ahmed, uh, Wahab Riaz. Sahel Khan or some 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 of the uh, some of the big hitters yeah. back in this group. Yeah. yeah, you know the one thing about these squads in in the times of COVID is that they're just so big that it's like it's impossible <laughs> for for me to get my head like forty five man training squads in England and I'm sure like Australia will come out with like a hundred and seventy three man <laughs> um, training squad for like an ODI series against Zimbabwe or something, but. Yeah, Pakistan's got some interesting names. I think it's a big enough pool, right? But they've got some interesting names in there. I think Safraz obviously is one, like his, you know, first time he's, he's come back into the reckoning, I guess, um, since, since he was dropped, not only as captain, but as player. The, I guess the ironic thing is that, you know, Safraz, when he was captain, famously used to insist on not having another wicketkeeper in the squad. I mean, he didn't insist on it, but he kind of kept other wicketkeepers at, at an arm's length from squads. Um, and, and now he is there as the backup to Rizwan. So, you know, it, it's kind of, I, I guess he's there as backup. I don't know how much he'll play, but, you know, he's there in the squad. Rizwan's had a pretty decent start to his test career. Um, well, a kind of second start to his test career this year, this last year. Um, the other names, Sohail Khan's an interesting one. I'm not, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Him and, him and both Imran Khan actually gives it, a, gives it a, a very 2016 feel all of a sudden. It's like, oh, hey, we're back in 2016 when, when Sohail Khan was a little bit quicker and probably could swing a bit more. And so was Imran was a little bit quicker, but it, it, it seems, it, it, it seemed odd. I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure about it. I don't think they've had great domestic seasons either, but, I guess, you know, with, with guys like Ahmed dropping out, uh, Wahab only now has come back in, but, you know, with, with Ahmed dropping out, um, I, th- I think, you know, they, they've gone for experience and, and guys like Sohail, they're hoping that they'll find conditions here kind of, you know, as good as they can be for bowlers like them now, uh, both him and Imran. Um, Wahab as well, uh, it's, it's a strange one, you know, because he's kind of given up on, on red ball cricket. Um, but, I mean, I've stopped questioning some of the selections, you know, that, that Mizbah has made in, in his time. There's, there's been odd selections there. Um, I, I'm most excited actually about obviously seeing Nasim Shah here as well, which would be great to just watch him. You know, he's another young kind of fast bowler coming through. Um, he's had such a good start to his test career and just to watch him in England. Um, I, I do it with, you know, a little bit of fear, uh, as to what happens to like just young players when they get, you know, they come to England and, and they, and they do well and they become big. And suddenly, bam, you know, something happens and, and they're away for like the next five years or whatever. Not thinking of anyone in particular, but um, it, it, it'd be nice to see him. <laughs> and the other guy I'm really, <laughs> the other guy I'm really, really looking forward to is Heather Ali, actually, um, who, who's the kind of new, you know, batsman at the top of the order, done well across all formats this year, this last season. Um, and, and, you know, he, he counts Rohit Sharma as his kind of role model, which, you know, I, I got a bit of love for Rohit Sharma, so uh, look, looking forward to um, looking forward to seeing him uh, actually a lot in uh, in uh, over the summer. Um, very good. Well, if he plays the pull hit shot like Rohit, then we'll all be happy. Um, you sort of mentioned Mohammed Amir, um, not by name, um, but he he is um, missing from this tour. Um, because he's retired from Test cricket, essentially, but uh, I think he also has a, has a child coming. And Harris Sahel is the other player that, that pulled out. Yeah, I think I think Amir would have would have been in in the white ball plans. He, I know he, you know, he's not he's not part of the central contracts list anymore. But I think he would have been. The, the thinking was that he would have been part of the white ball plans. But 
because he's, you know, his wife is due to give birth in August and it, it's a tricky time for traveling. You know, it's not a great time for, for uh, traveling if you're pregnant, especially. And I think that whole situation kind of has forced his hand and ensured that he's going to stay rather, you know, that way. So I don't think it's anything to do with the fact that, you know, he, he didn't want a tour. It's literally just because of, of, of personal situation. And, and, and the same, uh, well, not the same with Harris Sohail, but I think that the case with Harris Sohail, although the PCB did mess up in their communications on why he was missing the tour, and it led to a lot of, frankly, pretty misplaced speculation about why he was missing the tour. But, you know, he, like some West Indian players, like the three West Indian players who pulled out, he wasn't comfortable traveling. Uh, at this time, you know, he, you're traveling out of Pakistan. It's a risk right now, given given the, the situation with the pandemic there. And traveling into England, you know, England's only just kind of now coming through, coming through whatever's been happening. So I, I think he was just uncomfortable traveling, which they had the option. You know, the players had the option. So I think the PCB kind of messed up a little bit by by not making it clear from the very first day when they made that release of why he was missing, uh, why he was missing the door. Yeah, all completely understandable. Um, and in terms of sort of agreeing to come over here, discussions with the boards and so on, um, both Mizbar and Wazin Khan, the the, um, the chief exec, uh, have said they they don't expect anything in return from the ECB uh, for their coming over to fulfil the tour. But uh, is it maybe fair to say that they are kind of encouraging other countries to think of the bigger picture um, by coming over here, and obviously in the hope that in future that, that teams will come back and tour Pakistan. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, 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 and they've been, you know, they've been at pains to to make clear that they're not linking this tour to that. You know, th- this was anyway part of a bilateral agreement. They were going to do it. I, I think the conversations about um, uh, about England touring Pakistan, whenever I think that's in 2022, I think is a schedule. Uh, the, the, that I think the conversations have been happening for a while. And I think the PCB has been working with the ECB to kind of, you know, ensure that that does happen regardless of where we are with the pandemic, obviously. And, you know, we're all hoping that by 2022, the world will be kind of back to whatever, whatever normal was. Um, so I, I think it, it, it won't look badly, of course, you know, and in any future negotiations, when we do return to maybe next year, when we do start thinking more normally about these things, I'm sure, you know, it, it, it will remain in the ECB's minds that, you know, Pakistan did come here at that time. And it's, it's, you know, it's, so it, it, that's only natural in any kind of negotiation, interaction like that. It'll be natural. But I don't think Pakistan have gone in saying that, right, boys, let's do this tour, but let's also make sure that England come back in 2022 because, you know, that's the only reason we're doing it. So I, I think, I think they were, you know, they're, they're going ahead to do it. And, and because of the conversations that have been happening, happening and because of the way, you know, developments have been happening in Pakistan with more teams returning, um, I, th- I think, you know, that's part of a longer term conversation. And, I, and I've said before, actually, that I do think that of the kind of Western nations, I think England would probably be the first one to kind of, you know, break the barrier and, and get to Pakistan for, for a tour. And just uh, lastly, in terms of looking forward to the return of cricket, I mean, Pakistan and England, there's a lot of um, fun to be had there, a lot of good history between the two teams, particularly recently as well. Yeah, a, a lot of good cricket, actually. There's been some really, really good cricket matches. I mean, the 2016 series was a really good one that, you know, a couple of the wins were one-sided for England um, and then the last one. But, you know, there was a lot of cricket, a lot of good cricket in between um, all the results. Uh, and, and 2018 was, you know, uh, was, I mean, the Lord's Test, I think caught a lot of people in England by surprise. I, I, you know, I don't think Pakistan, many people given Pakistan that chance. But I think the thing with Pakistan always is that they'll, you know, they'll, they'll arrive here and they'll have some bowlers who will do well here. They've always done well in England. Out of, you know, if you, if you put Pakistan's record in England, 
uh, up against their records in Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa, there's a world of difference. You know, Pakistan very much more at home in England. And I think guys like Abbas, who hopefully is back to being better than he has been over the last year, I think, you know, that shoulder is finally maybe settling down for him. And, and with, you know, Shaheen in the attack as well, who's had a really good kind of test season and Nassim there. Um, I, I think there should be some good cricket. And of course, you know, the, 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 the batsman of the summer who we all know will, of course, be Babar Azam. Um, <laughs> um, it, it'd, be, it'd be good to see him. I, I think that they've got a decent team. The only things I would worry about probably were Azhar. Azhar, you know, his, his form hasn't been great. His captaincy as well, it's going to play a part. And, and Yasser Shah, you know, he's, he's kind of, uh, he's become like a, a, a UAE-only bowler suddenly. Um, although he's, you know, he's got a couple of test matches where he's done well in England. So uh, I'd be interested to see how he goes uh, over the summer. Late summer, you know, who knows what the pitches are like. Uh, it'd be good to see him. Good to see him get some wickets as well. Thanks, Osman. Uh, appreciate your time. Before I let you guys go, uh, there are obviously lots of wheels moving within wheels as far as the cricket calendar goes. We sort of touched upon um, different countries at different stages in the battle with coronavirus. Particular, the T20 World Cup increasingly looks in doubt. Uh, Nagraj, some comments <laughs> coming out of uh, Australia. Yeah, unrealistic, unlikely, not feasible. Not me saying, but people who sit on the ICC board meetings. But the ICC says we can't make up, we can't take the call, and that call will still be taken. They have another meeting next week, next Thursday to be precise, but. Expect that call to be taken at the annual conference in July. But it's a given now that it will be postponed. Uh, and that window will be utilized for some other tournament. I mean, every board is just asking ICC, take that call so that we can make up our mind and use that window, whether whether it be IPL or whether it be bilateral series or anything else. So, Yeah, I mean, on that front of what might... Uh fit into the gap uh, the, the IPL seems to be making uh, pretty strong noises about um, uh, being played later this year it's not certain but okay fine you create a window but where do you play they still don't know India is still like spiking massively and we we are what three months away and in three months if the numbers don't come down you can't expect the government's not going to give a uh, what do you say permission to play within India. So it's still a doubt and it could be played overseas then. That's the that's a more viable option. So yeah. Once ICC takes a call, I'm guessing BCCI will come out and say these are the dates and the people are talking about late September to mid-October. That's the window being chalked out. Where it would be, it could be Sri Lanka, it could be UAE, I think, outside of India, I feel. Um, never know. Um, and I mean, well, talking of... Um September uh, and and the schedule. I mean, England are supposed to be going to India themselves, George, um, around that time of the year, but that doesn't look very likely. I don't think there's a cat in hell's chance that that all will happen. Um, you know, whether England go to India in January, February, I think is the more pertinent question. I don't know. Listen, I, I, I the I, I do find it slightly puzzling that we can't have a global event in a country that has been fairly lightly touched, relatively, by COVID. And yet we can have what really is a global tournament in a country that seems to be in the midst of the grip of COVID. I find that puzzling. I don't think it's a great look for the game. But there might be very good reasons, which I I don't understand. But um, I don't know. The cynic, I think, would think that it's just money talks and um, India get their way and... 
The cynic is quite often right. Uh, <laughs> how, how, how could it be? Uh, I mean, so, how, how could it be that overseas players could go to India when they, we don't think that overseas teams can go to Australia? How, how would that make sense logically? So I wonder whether the IPL will be played without overseas players. Might be one option. Or in the UAE. But uh, either way, I, I do think... I am puzzled that the IPL can go on and the world, uh, the T20 World Cup can't. And that's where it comes, I think, to the administrators. I don't know whether they are thinking because you get the hosting rights, whether Australia wants to kind of... I mean, I, I don't know why Australia can't think of hosting this event in New Zealand. Well, it might, it might simply be that New Zealand don't want to because... Uh, you know, New Zealand have the you have one of the benefits, uh, the many benefits of living in New Zealand is that you can shut down your borders quite effectively, uh, and they've done that, and and good for them. Um, but it it is quite a long way off. I don't know. Uh, Australian cricket hasn't dealt with this situation uh, wonderfully well at this stage, has it? It seemed to have um, one or two of the administrators would appear to have panicked. Um, and, uh, you know, it's obviously cost people jobs. But uh, I, I, I don't understand, as I say, all, all the They're thinking just given up. This. They just gave up that they don't want this this window that has been created because they feel the government's not going to give them... Their government's not going to give position, uh, them the permission. And more importantly, they want the crowds because there's a lot of gate money they can derive from the tournament. And that's why they say, we can't get that this time. So what's the point? Let's just... Can we just play it, host it next October, November? And can India host it in 2022? So, but India is saying that I don't, we don't want to host it in 2022 because we have 2023 ODI World Cup. So, well, coming back to that point, can cricket think for the f- growth of the game and for the health of the game? Can they think like the example that ECB and CWI have set for bilateral cricket? Uh, they are not thinking. You talk to the people, George and me speak to them regularly, these guys who sit on the ICC board meetings. You ask everyone, everyone comes out with one thing, everyone's selfish. They can be to an extent, but they're not thinking. Uh, we don't know. I mean, people don't give us the entire story, but it seems like people are just thinking for themselves or about themselves right now, which has been the case forever. Well... Puzzlement and the uh, international cricket calendar uh, often go hand in hand. I won't ask you about three-team cricket, which is uh, South Africa's response to what the... What is uh, it? The, what is it? I'm sorry, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I just didn't even read it. Well, that's what it is. Three teams involved, and I'm, I'm not even going to try and explain it any further than that. But, um, but we'll end on the, the, the most important topic of the day. Um, county cricket is back on the agenda, George, although there are still some doubts about the, the shape and viability um, of the championship, for instance, and the, the shape of the, the summer, such as it may be, come sort of August, September. There are, but I think we'll get county cricket. Pretty confident we'll get county cricket, and I'm pretty confident it'll start early August. You're right. We don't know what it will look like. The original suggestion for the PGG... OK, people won't know about the PGG generally. Uh, the Professional Game Group. It is. Um, it represents the, the counties. Uh, they have driven the return. The ECB have been busy, really, with trying to get international cricket back on. But some of the counties, and they're driven really by Tim Bostock at Durham, Richard Gould at Surrey, 
uh, Rob Andrew at Sussex, and Lisa Pursehouse at Nottinghamshire as well. So they, they have decided that it would be good for the game to play, and I think they're right. Um, financially, you could argue that. Um, morally, don't know. Um, I, I, I think it's good that they're playing. You know, if you're a cricket club, you probably ought to be playing cricket when you can, particularly if you're taking public money while you're not. So, um, yeah, there are arguments about how that will look, but there is an enthusiasm to do it. And while there was some reluctance, reticence, caution expressed in chief executives' meetings, it seems that um, in public that is a caution that dare not speak its name. So I, I'm pretty confident we'll see some county cricket. And that's a, it's just another step towards something approaching normality. And, and if people think that, you know, you can't afford to do that, well, the membership money is easier to justify if they play. The sponsorship money is easier to justify. And again, I've, I've said this before, and it's not very popular. I think if you're taking the furlough money when you could be playing, and they've already had the ECB money, they've had all their ECB money due this year up until January now. It's all guaranteed. And if you're taking money not to play, is that not the same as taking a benefit when you could have a job? Isn't it? And the plan would still be then to play T20 Blast in September, hopefully with some crowds. Listen, it's not perfect. They're not probably going to be full houses. It's not going to be a full season. But they're trying, and they're trying to get back to something approaching normal. And so hopefully we will have some cricket to watch and enjoy. Hopefully the players will be able to make cases for selection and retention. And hopefully, you know, we'll take a step towards normality and beating the virus, I guess. When will this end? Will it be end of September? If all this happens? The original original plan I saw, uh, no, the season does dribble into October. You see, the five-day final starts, if it happens at Lords right at the end of September. Hmm. So, uh, no, so the season will go into October. The, you know, that's kind of OK. I mean, you, you could get good weather then. I mean, it's pouring with rain here now. So, uh, who knows? It's England. You could have so, a glorious so October. It's not... Uh, contracted players don't need to... Uh, quickly, Fallon, if you don't mind me asking. If contracted players are England contracted players, are they? is it mandatory for them to be part of this? It's not mandatory. What do you? What do you um, I don't. So let's do say mean? there is a clash with the IPL in October, and Ben Stokes has to play his county is playing, and if if he's supposed to be playing for Rajasthan Royals, what happens if there's a scenario? I'm, like I'm that? sure if the choice was between county and IPL, he would play IPL. Okay. I mean, he's a centrally contracted player, so that's up to England, obviously. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a mature understanding of the importance of the IPL, not just to uh, players' incomes, which is a completely fine reason to be played in it, um, but also that it probably has lots of beneficial effects. Uh, look, the ECB wanted people to play in the IPL this year, didn't they? Because it's ahead of uh, the T20 World Cup, and they thought they'd gain you know, exposure to a better and different players and all those other beneficial things. So the, the days when there was a big uh, conflict between English cricket and the IPL are, are, are long gone. Um, so, yeah, if there's any clash there, I'm sure they'll go. Of course, if there's a clash of international fixtures, which is possible, but I think unlikely, then it gets more difficult. But if it were, you know, uh, an ODI series against, say, 
South Africa, which is due to be played in the next eight months or so. I, I wouldn't be surprised if English players were allowed to miss that to go and play in the IPL, but not sure about... don't think you'll see anyone miss any test matches at the moment. I should have known it would have been uh, uh, too much to stop Naga from asking questions. Right, that's... Uh... That's probably a good place to wrap things up. Um, With a bit of luck, we'll all be sitting shivering in deck chairs come October for an autumnal T20 blast. George, Naga, you're free to get back on the phone. Cricket's administrators have had enough of a break already. Thanks for coming on, and to all of you for listening to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com.